Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. We are continuing our series this morning on wisdom. And we are going to be in Proverbs chapter 2 today. So if you'll be finding that, we'll be reading the first 15 verses in a few moments. Proverbs chapter 2. You know, no matter what age we are, we really don't like being told what to do. Or should I say merely being told what to do. That is when someone tells us to do something without giving us any reason or purpose underlying why we are supposed to do what we are going to do. Now, we do follow their commands occasionally, especially if we want to, for example, keep our jobs. And so we might be told something to do tomorrow morning at work and without asking why we might do it. But like children, we might do what we are told to do with no honor nor respect to the one telling it. We want to know the reason behind what we are doing, presumably so that we can then agree with the reason, and once we agree with the reason, then we are more likely to wholeheartedly get behind what we are being asked to do and therefore do it better. So that way we're not blindly following someone, but rather we agree, and because we agree, we're going to make a better effort at doing whatever it is. Now, again, last week we began this series with the pursuit of wisdom. But other than saying to you that this pursuit is biblical and this pursuit is useful or helpful for virtually every area of our lives, I really didn't give you any other reason why we should do it. I didn't give you any of the purposes behind this pursuit of wisdom. So today I could say something like, well, because I told you so. I mean, you ought to do it because I told you to, which is the way we parents parent sometimes, though that's not the best method. I could, of course, say, because God told you to. And I could say that faithfully and legitimately, and you might do it because you understand the responsibility that we have as God's creatures, that if God says to do something, then who are we to question God, and therefore we ought to do it. But to be honest, we... We want more personal reasons, don't we? I mean, whether we like to admit it or not, the what's in it for me mentality is very prominent in all of our lives. And so even in something like this, the pursuit of wisdom, the question then becomes, well, what's in it for me? What is wisdom going to do for me? If I am going to go into this all-out effort to seek and pursue wisdom, then what am I going to get in return? Well, when it comes to wisdom, there is something in it for us. And there's nothing wrong with acknowledging, again, what the Bible says, and that is it is a tremendous benefit to you and to me to pursue and therefore attain wisdom. Listen to Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 11. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom is better than finances, than money. That's what jewels mean. And any other thing you can pursue cannot compare with her. We talked about some of those other pursuits last week. 
We talked about the pursuit of wisdom and uh, uh, I should have said wealth. We talked about other pursuits other than wisdom. And yet Solomon says here very clearly in Proverbs chapter 8 that whatever those other pursuits are that you can think of, none of them can compare to pursuing wisdom. As long as, of course, we remember that the pursuit of wisdom involves the pursuit of Christ, who we said last week is wisdom. So today we are going to talk about the prophet of wisdom. Not prophet in the sense of someone who says something for God, that's a different spelling. Prophet in the sense of what I get from it, not financially, but what I get. What is my profit? If we go to work tomorrow, we expect to be paid for our work. And so if we're going to pursue wisdom, then there is a sense in which we expect something in return, and there's nothing wrong with that because the Bible actually promises it. And so I hope to show you today that pursuing wisdom will be well worth the effort and bring you a prophet, a spiritual prophet, relational prophets, and on and on the line we can go as long as we understand I'm not talking about financial. Now, who better to hear this from than Solomon, the man we were introduced to last week, the man who asked God for wisdom and was given that wisdom. And then we saw an example of that when he had the dilemma of two women in front of him, both claiming that the one living child belonged to them. And there were no eyewitnesses. There, were no way, there was no way for him to know whose child that belonged to unless he applied wisdom. Solomon then went on to write wisdom literature. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote much of what we call the book of Proverbs. And so let's hear from him. Proverbs chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding... Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of, of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. All right, so just two points this morning as we talk about the prophet of wisdom. First of all, there are some prerequisites to follow. I know we want to get to the heart of this and we want to jump right into tell me what I'm going to get if I follow wisdom. But before we can get there, there are some prerequisites in this text that we must follow. And if we bypass these prerequisites, then we have no assurance or promise that we are going to have wisdom. You say, well, I knew there must be a catch. 
I knew he was going to tell me something that I'm going to have to do in order to get wisdom. Well, didn't your parents always tell you that anything worth getting was worth working for? That anything worth achieving was going to take hard work? You see, we want success without the sacrifice. We want three easy steps. Tell me these three simple things, and then I can walk out of here with wisdom for the rest of my life. We want to bypass the hard work and get the profit. In fact, we look at other people sometimes, and we think that's what they've done. We look at successful people in our society, not knowing what kind of work they've put in behind the scenes, and we simply assume that they've gotten there for, by some other means, and we wonder why we can't get there. And so we have this mentality that we don't want to put in the effort in order to achieve the profit. But if we're going to get wisdom, it is going to mean there are some prerequisites to follow. Now, Solomon is writing to his son. There is an address there, the first two words of this chapter, my son. So Solomon is giving wisdom to his son. He is doing exactly what Deuteronomy had told him to do, and that was he is passing on the wisdom of God to subsequent generations. But now I want you to see the third word in verse 1. It is the little word, if. My son, if. Now drop down to verse 5 and see the first word in verse 5. Then. This is a classic conditional statement. If you do these things, then you can expect to have wisdom. A conditional statement means you must fulfill the conditions that are outlined first if you expect the benefits or the blessings of the second half. We as parents do this as well. If you clean your plate, you can have dessert. And what we mean by that is you've got to do the first thing first. You're not going to jump right to dessert, at least you shouldn't. In other words, you must do the cleaning of the plate, then you can have the blessing of dessert. And so we've got to look at verses 1 through 4 and see what these prerequisites are before we jump to verses 5 and following and see what the promises are. Because you cannot claim the promises of verses 5 and following unless you meet the prerequisites of verses 1 through 4. So these three prerequisites are all involved in the pursuit of wisdom, which again is what we talked about last week, but I didn't really give you specifics. I laid out the, the purpose, that is we need to pursue it, but I didn't really tell you how to go about doing that. So that's what we're going to do now. So what are these three prerequisites to follow? Verses one and two, the first one is listen. Multiple words here point to this in these first two verses, all of them reminding us that genuine listening is not a half-hearted hearing. This is a, an active word. We sometimes think of listening as passive, like what you're doing right now, hopefully. You think, I'm just sitting here and all I'm doing is listening. But listening is an active word. We must engage and genuinely hear what we are listening to. Otherwise, again, like we've complained about our children, they may have heard what we've said, but it hasn't really been applied. And so we use that phrase, it went in one ear and out the other. That is, they heard, but they weren't really listening. That's why sometimes we say, are you listening to me? We know they're standing right in front of us, and we know they're hearing, 
But we say, are you listening to me as a way of saying, are you really comprehending what we are talking about here? Because when we really listen, it doesn't go in one ear and out the other. Instead, it, it is uh, transferred to the mind and the heart, and it begins to transform our lives. That's what we are talking about this morning. Now, we are bombarded in life with voices. I'm not talking about the craziness. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not claiming you're crazy and hearing voices where there's no one present. When I talk about hearing voices, I'm talking about we are always bombarded with a message. Whether it be from the advertising we see on television, or whether it be from the social media accounts we go to and we hear all of these various messages there, or whether it's exactly what we're doing this morning. There are messages all around. There are voices speaking into our minds constantly. And it is not an exaggeration to say that whether or not we attain our pursuit of wisdom is in a large measure going to hinge upon which voices we listen to. So which ones should we listen to? When Solomon is urging his son, and by extension us, to listen, if you're going to pursue wisdom, you got to listen. Well, what is it that we are listening to? In this world of all kinds of voices, which voice are we to hear? Well, obviously, we need to listen to God's Word. And that, of course, should come as no surprise to you. Solomon says, my son, treasure up my commandments. And because Solomon is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and what he writes has become Scripture and is the revelation of God, I'm simply expanding it to say what the rest of the Bible says, and that is we need to listen to the commandments, the Word of God. There is no way that we're going to have godly wisdom without listening to, on a regular basis, God's written revelation. Secondly, we are to listen to God's Spirit something we will dive into a little more depth in our next series when we talk about the Holy Spirit. In fact, these two things go together, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, because the Spirit of God will always lead us in conjunction with the Word of God. So this is not a, this is not a free-for-all. Sometimes when people think about listening to the Spirit of God, I'm opening up the opportunity for you to follow any of those voices in your head, no matter what they may be saying to you, and that is not what I'm saying. The Spirit of God always speaks in concert with the Word of God, and we ought to hear them together. They are never in opposition one with the other. So we need to listen to God's Word, and we need to listen to God's Spirit, and thirdly, we need to listen to God's people. I do believe that God speaks through other people, specifically other Christian people, to direct us along a path of wisdom. Again, isn't that exactly what Solomon's doing? He is writing to his son, and he is giving his son godly wisdom, and he is expecting that his son is going to listen to his godly wisdom. So for us, that would include such things as parents, grandparents, Christian counselors, pastors, mentors, small group leaders. The list could go on and on. In fact, it is not just someone in person. A lot of my mentors in the Christian life are authors, men and women that I've never met. Many of them are not even alive. 
but I am, I'm learning from them godly wisdom through the words they have written or the sermons they have preached, and they are mentors to me because I am reading their material and I am trying to put it into practice. So we are to listen to the wise words from these sources if we hope to achieve the wisdom that we are pursuing. Prerequisite number two is found in verse three. We are not only to listen, but we are to ask, something that we dealt with last week. Verse three tells us to call out, raise your voice, both of which say the same thing that we heard James say last week. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, both of these phrases also imply, once again, this is more than a casual asking. Even as our listening was not a passive activity, our asking is not a casual activity either. This is a calling out over and over again. It speaks of an urgency and of a persistence concerning this request. In fact, now is a good time to add that none of this is a one-time event. You know, I understand that we can read that verse in James and we can wrongly conclude that this is all a one-time event. If any man asks God, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and God will give it to him. And if we just read that, we tend to think, well, if I ask and God gives, then I receive the wisdom and I've got it for the rest of my life. But that is not the way it works. We are to ask continually. And especially when we are confronted with new situations and circumstances that call for us to exercise wisdom. So we can never have too much wisdom, which is why we must be continuous and repetition, repetitious in our asking. The third request is found in verse 4. We need to listen, we need to ask, and verse 4, we need to seek. It is clear in this verse that a diligent search is necessary. Again, this is not a casual thing. I quoted at the beginning from chapter 8 of Proverbs, where Solomon says that wisdom is better than jewels. So shouldn't our search for wisdom be more involved than our search for money or wealth? Every parent has heard a child proclaim, I can't find my blank. And so we start asking questions. Well, where did you last have it? Where do you think you left it? And they say, I don't know. If I knew all that, I'd know where it is. And so we had this conversation numerous times in my house, especially when our kids were younger. They would come down the stairs, mom, dad, I can't find blank. One of us would then begin asking those questions and we would march off to the upstairs rooms and try to find what they were looking for. And more times than not, we would find it rather quickly, which tells us what? They never really looked. At least they didn't search very diligently. And we would ask them that. Have you looked all over your room? Oh, yeah, I've looked everywhere. And we'd go up there and lift one thing off the floor. Well, there it is right there. Because you didn't search very diligently. You really weren't trying. You wanted someone else to do it for you. Did you see the story about the art and antique collector from Santa Fe, New Mexico, who over a decade ago hid a treasure chest of over $1 million worth of stuff in the Rocky Mountains. This is a true story. We were, uh, Tracy and I had just uh, finished a couple months ago watching a show on uh, Netflix that was set out in the West. Now the show's not real, it's just a TV show. But as part of the show, they incorporated this story. And so this sheriff out West was constantly having to deal with the, the people who were there to hunt for the treasure and all the problems that they were causing. 
But this man really did hide a treasure. His goal was, his purpose was, he wanted people to get out into uh, nature and have an adventure. And so he wrote a book in 2010 called The Thrill of the Chase. And in that book, there was a 24-line poem that gave clues as to how to find this treasure. Thousands of people over the last decade, some say hundreds of thousands of people, have searched in vain. Some of them even concluded that it was all a hoax and they sued him because they thought it wasn't real. Many quit their jobs in order to search full time for this treasure. Some of them depleted their life savings in search of this $1 million prize. At least four people that they know of died in this search because of the rough terrain and conditions. But there really was a treasure. And after over 10 years, earlier this month, someone found it. Finally, after 10 years, someone found it. We don't know who, they wanted to remain anonymous. All we know is that it was someone from back east, as the article said. Now that's the kind of pursuit that Solomon is talking about here. An all out effort to attain wisdom because we know how valuable it is, much more so than a chest of gold coins and other artifacts. Now at this point, I would understand if you are a bit confused. I mean, is wisdom a gift from God that we ask for and then receive? Or is wisdom a pursuit that we must apply ourselves to if we ever hope to get it? And the answer is yes, it is both. And that is not a contradiction. We know that salvation is a gift from God. We cannot do anything to earn it. We certainly do not deserve it. And yet uh, Paul says in Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We are saved by grace and yet there is an ongoing responsibility for the child of God to pursue Christ diligently so that we might grow in our faith. And very much the same thing can be said about wisdom. It is a gift from God, and yet the means by which God has chosen to dispense this grace involves the prerequisites that we've been talking about this morning. He's not just going to shower it on you if you do not listen, if you do not ask, and if you do not seek. So those are the three prerequisites that we find here. I'm sure you can go elsewhere in Scripture and find others, but those are the three we find here. And that then leads us if, remember this is an if then, if you meet these qualifications in the first four verses, then verse five, you have the promises to embrace. This is the heart of this sermon, the profit that we receive from pursuing wisdom. The first is the most obvious, and it is the one that we've briefly dealt with already. Verse six, wisdom is granted, for the Lord gives wisdom. If wisdom is valuable, is as valuable as the Bible says it is, then the getting of that wisdom is in and of itself a profit, right? It is not just what it will do for me, though there is that. If it is as valuable as the Bible says it is, then the mere receiving of this wisdom is a great value and a great promise to embrace. Now, I say all of that even though it is simplistic, I say all of that to remind us that wisdom is something that is given to us from God. 
And I say that because the traditional view of wisdom is that you get it the older you get, right? Wisdom is for the aged. So we have this assumption that as we age, we will get more and more wisdom. And while that may be true in many cases, it is not true in all cases. And it is certainly not true if we're talking about godly wisdom. Or in a similar vein, we sometimes think that the more life experiences we have, the more wisdom we have. So the more we go through things and presumably learn from those things, the more wisdom we possess. But here again, life experiences and age don't necessarily bring about wisdom. In fact, sometimes they bring about bitterness, resentment, and anger. I mean, you can go into a uh, assisted living facility when they let us back in there. You can go in those places, and yes, you will find men and women who have a lot of wisdom. But you will also find men and women who have very little wisdom. And instead, they have those other things that I've just mentioned. Some might even conclude that wealth or success in life are signs of true wisdom, assuming that in order to attain wealth or success in a career, one must have had wisdom in order to get there. Once again, some of that might be true, but it is not a universal principle, at least not with the godly wisdom that we are talking about. So this passage and others like it make it very clear that godly wisdom comes from God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon will say that later in another proverb. So while these other factors might help, that is, the, the older we get, the more experiences we've come across, surely if we apply those correctly, they are going to help us grow in wisdom. But never forget that ultimately wisdom is a gift given by God for those who pursue it. So the first value, the first uh, profit is the attaining of the wisdom itself, wisdom granted. The second promise to embrace is wisdom guides. We find this in verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. The second half of verse 8, and watching over the way of his saints. All of these are, are positive ways to speak of wisdom guiding us along life in the proper path. Again, if wisdom is defined as the ability to have the knowledge to discern between good and evil and then apply it to life, not just knowing it, but knowing it enough to apply it to life. If that is our definition of wisdom, the application of discerning and knowing between right and wrong and choosing accordingly, then we can see that wisdom is going to lead us along a path of righteousness and integrity. Now, this does not mean that wisdom promises an absence of trouble. Nowhere does the Bible promise a child of God that once we come to faith in Christ, all of the troubles, all of the obstacles will be removed from our lives. In many respects, the Bible promises the exact opposite. Likewise, a life of wisdom doesn't equal a life of ease. I mean, you've heard someone testify before, and they've talked about all the troubles they had before they came to Christ. My, my life was a mess. This was going on. That was going on. And then I came to faith in Christ, and my life has been a bed of roses ever since then. You've probably heard those testimonies. You probably didn't believe them, or at least you shouldn't, but you've probably heard them. You shouldn't believe them because they're not biblical. 
Coming to faith in Christ does not mean an absence of trouble or a life of ease. That's just not reality, neither is it biblical. And we actually buy into this oftentimes in very subtle ways. We do it like this. We make a decision. We, we've tried to know God's will. We, we've, to the best of our ability, we've prayed about it, and we want God's will, and we make a decision. And then difficulties arise. And what do we say? Or what, at least what do we think? Well, I must have made the wrong decision. I mean, had I made the right decision, there wouldn't be these difficulties. Or, or you hear it in the other side. Uh, I, I hear this especially when it comes to selling a house, something Aaron's just recently done. But you'll hear people say, you know what? I know God was in it. Well, how do you know that? Well, because our house sold in two days. Well, does that mean God was in it just because your house sold quickly? And if that's true, the opposite must be true. And that is for those whose houses have languished on the market, it means God's not in it. And that's, that's subtly what people mean. So we're buying into that mentality of, if I make wise choices, there will not be difficulties and there will not be troubles. But just a casual reading of the New Testament will show us that there are men and women in the Bible who are in fact in the center of God's will, and yet they are experiencing struggle after struggle. So God does guide, but sometimes he guides us into trouble. Sometimes he wants us to go through difficulties, to test our faith, to grow our faith, and, and on and on the list could go. So what does it mean that wisdom is a guide to those who have it? Well, it means that we can have security no matter what our circumstances might be. And that's something that's very easy to say. I can, I can spout that off in the pulpit very quickly, but that's harder to actually live out in life. That I can have security no matter what my circumstances. I'm reminded of the apostles in the book of Acts who have been arrested and put in prison for being in the middle of God's will. That is, they were testifying that Jesus is alive. And for that, they have been placed into prison. And there we find them at midnight. And what are they doing? Are they saying to themselves, I guess we got it wrong? Because if we were doing what God wanted us to do, there wouldn't be any trouble in life. No, they're singing praises to God because they know that before they were in God's will and they know that now they are in God's will in spite of the struggles and problems that they are facing. And so they have security knowing that they are walking wisely with God. But it also means that our wise decisions will be used by God to keep us from harm. Again, general statement. Generally, it is true that if you make wise decisions, then you will not be in places that could get you in trouble, and you will not be around people that could do you harm. A lot. Again, not all. This is not a foolproof idea here. But when people's lives are directed by wisdom, they are shielded from a lot of the harm that people do face because of their poor or foolish choices. I mean, that is why Solomon is instructing his son in the first place, not only here, but throughout Proverbs, that a life, guarded, or a life guided by the wisdom of God is infinitely better than the alternative. So we have wisdom granted, that is, God gives it to us. 
Secondly, we have wisdom guides. It is the guide for our lives. And as we move forward over the next couple of weeks, we'll talk more specifically about how that is applied to various areas of our lives. But thirdly, wisdom guards. We find this word in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. I guess we don't find the word guard there. It's in another verse. But it is in verse 11. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. And that's where I'm getting this particular point. In fact, the rest of the chapter, even the portions that we did not read, largely deal with how wisdom guards us from those who would seek to pervert our lives and lead us astray and into evil things. And the rest of the chapter actually deals with that in a specific manner, and that is in the realm of sexual temptation, something we know is very prominent in our society. So again, you know that you've heard parents say, maybe you've said it yourself, that your child has fallen in with the wrong crap. Well, I got two major issues with that popular phrase. Number one, it's never your own kid's fault, right? I mean, I never hear a parent say, my kid is the wrong crowd. No, they always say, my kid has fallen in with the wrong crowd. It's someone else's fault. It's not their poor choices, someone else's responsibility. So that's problem number one I have with the statement. Problem number two is we don't fall into it. Nobody falls into the wrong crowd. They choose the wrong crowd. They are making choices. Whether those choices are wise or foolish, they are making choices. And that is why we are dealing with wisdom. Wise choices will keep you away from the wrong crowd, and foolish choices will have you deceived by them, participating with them, and ultimately then deceiving others along with them. So generally speaking, wisdom will guide you on the right path and guard you from the wrong path. And the combination of these two are a tremendous blessing throughout life. Again, one that touches every area or aspect of our lives. But before we look into those in the weeks to come, if you still have your Bibles open, I want you to flip a page or two and find chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Proverbs 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. That's what we've been talking about, really, for two weeks. I mean, you want to know what wisdom is? Well, you got to get it. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. If you pursue wisdom, and of course attain it to some degree, verse 8, she will exalt you. She will honor you. Isn't that what so many people in life want? They want to be honored. They want to be exalted. That is why we pursue wealth, so we can appear to be somebody and people will honor us. That is why we pursue achievement in a career, because we want to be proud of ourselves and have others honor and exalt us for the achievements that we've gotten. And the Bible here says, if you want that honor and if you want that exaltation, there's a better place to find it than in wealth and career or anything else you can think about. The better place is wisdom. Wisdom herself will exalt you and wisdom herself will honor you. Now, this is what we call the personification of wisdom. That is, Solomon is writing as if wisdom were a person. Now, we know that wisdom is not. 
We know that wisdom is a quality or a characteristic. But when we personify something, we write about it or we speak about it as if it is a person. But in this case, there's some truth to that. Because we said last week that wisdom is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. So all of our talk about wisdom, all of our talk about pursuing wisdom and profiting from wisdom is not primarily designed merely so that we can have a better life. It is not just about avoiding the evil and pursuing the righteousness as good and helpful as all of those things might be. It is ultimately about pursuing Jesus. Because we saw last week that Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, said that Christ is, in essence, wisdom incarnate. And so all of our pursuit of wisdom must never be divorced from a pursuit of Jesus Christ. And that's ultimately why we exist as a church. To encourage you, to urge you to pursue Jesus. And even during these times when we're not having formal invitations, that is, we're not asking you to come up here and and shake my hand and speak to me and then everybody else come and speak to you. Because of all that's going on, we're not doing that. But we are not discouraging decisions for Christ. You can make those decisions no matter what's going on in our culture. And we want you to. We want you to reach out to us during the week and say, I have some questions about what it means to follow Christ. I've never committed my life to Christ. I've never been baptized by immersion. I've not joined a church. If those things describe you, then we want you to make those decisions. We're just not doing it in the traditional way. And so don't ever think that during these difficult times, we're, we're saying, hold on to those decisions and make them later. No, these are urgent matters. And those decisions need to be made now. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. So do not put off for tomorrow what you need to do today. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the time we have this morning together and study your word once again. And I do pray that in our pursuit of wisdom, we would see that ultimately we are pursuing Christ. That he is our wisdom. And in knowing him, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Lord, may you give us a greater desire not only to know Christ, but to walk in wisdom because we do. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.